book three chapter twelve part two of tasker jevons the real story by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book three his book chapter twelve part two i remember it because it was then that i laid before him my own problem the daily post had asked me if i'd go out as its war correspondent i was to wire yes or no in the next half hour and if i went i should have to start to-night i said i didn't know what to do about it he stared you don't know what to do i said no it wasn't so simple when you had a wife and child dependent on you i didn't know whether i ought to take the risk and then he said his most memorable thing if you can take the risk of living my god he said if i only had your luck his luck i told him was a dead certainty there wasn't a paper that would refuse tasker jevons as war correspondent he'd only got to volunteer why on earth i asked him didn't he he became very grave he seemed to be considering it no he said no that isn't quite good enough for me i don't want to go out to the war to write about it i want to do things perhaps if there's no other way i may be driven to it for a moment then i suspected him i doubted his sincerity he was making all this fuss about enlisting to cover up his cowardice he must have known all the time they wouldn't take him he was safe but put before him a thing he could do do better than anybody else a thing that would take him into the thick and keep him there if he wasn't killed and he said no thank you that wasn't quite good enough for him i didn't believe in his perhaps if there was no other way he might be driven to it i saw him driven to do anything he didn't mean to do meanwhile he drove me before i had seen him i hadn't really meant to take that job he did something to me that changed my mind that was how i went out to belgium as a war correspondent i was out for a month then i was in ghent at the same old hotel in the place d'armes i got a touch of malaria and had to come home and the daily post sent another man out instead of me that was how i managed to see jevons in what nora called his second war phase he had been trying hard to get out with the red cross volunteers and it had been even funnier she said and more pathetic than his enlisting i don't know what viola thought of his war phases to nora they were just that funny and pathetic to the other thesigers he was purely offensive they resented jevons's trying to have anything to do with the war as if it had been some sort of impertinent interference with their prerogative his mother-in-law i know had no patience with him his frantic efforts to get to the front were nothing she declared but a form of war panic it took some people like that she said the only really cruel thing i had ever heard her say of him she said he looked panic-stricken he was lean and haggard by this time and had a haunted look which may have been what she meant and well if it wasn't panic that was the matter with him it was self-advertisement and if i'd any regard for him or any influence with him i'd stop it the little man was simply making himself ridiculous i was staying in canterbury with nora for the weekend and i heard all about it he did seem to have been rather funny he had begun with a scheme for taking out a red cross motor field ambulance which he proposed to command in person he had offered himself with his convoy first to the war office then to the admiralty then to the war office again and the war office and the admiralty kicked him out then he had gone round to each of the red cross societies in turn the american included and they had all got their own schemes for motor field ambulances and didn't want his what they did want 
was his subscriptions and his powerful pen to support their schemes and jevons had said damn my powerful pen to every one of them as for subscriptions he subscribed enormously to his own motor ambulance corps he had actually raised his unit found his volunteers his surgeons his chauffeurs and his stretcher bearers he had bought and equipped a motor ambulance car the one he had proposed to go with himself and they took his subscriptions and his ambulance car and his volunteers but they wouldn't take him no not at any price they put one of his surgeons at the head of the thing instead of him and sent it out without him and jimmy had to see it go but when they proposed that jimmy should use his powerful pen to maintain it in the field he swore that he would use it to expose the whole system and when he found that the responsibility for rejecting his services rested with the war office he went down to the war office and complained and to the admiralty and complained and to the home office and complained after that he seems to have visited all the embassies in turn the american the french the belgian and i suppose the russian and the japanese when i asked the thesigers what he was doing now they said they didn't know they hadn't heard of him and his activities for quite a fortnight and they didn't bother about him they were too much wrapped up in bertie and in reggie even if they hadn't been too busy every one of them up to their necks in work for the army or the hospitals they admitted that he had sent them large subscriptions it seemed to me as far as i could make out that viola hadn't seen or heard of him since she had left amershot she was too busy and too much wrapped up in reggie to bother about him either at least it looked like it she seems to have known in a vague way that he had talked about going to the front but i didn't believe she thought he would ever get there and he had lain low for a fortnight when we had got back to london at noon on tuesday which was the end of jimmy's fortnight i found a wire from amershot waiting for me it had been sent that morning it said leaving tomorrow must see you urgent business can you come down this evening jevons i knew that he wouldn't send a wire like that without good reason so i went a light rain was falling when i reached midhurst a hired dog-cart met me at the station so i gathered that jimmy's mad passion for his motor-car had survived the war and at amershot everything seems to have survived if it had not been for troops on the high road and for the stillness of the coverts and for the recruiting posters stuck everywhere on the barn doors and for the strange figure of old perrot driving the mail-cart from midhurst to amershot instead of his son you wouldn't have known that the war had anything to do with england and i expected to find jimmy in his old norfolk suit standing in the garage and looking with adoration at his motor-car as i thought all this i smiled when parker told me that mr jevons was in the garage parker i noticed didn't smile and in another minute it was jevons who did all the smiling i found him in the garage no i can't say i found him for i didn't recognize him but i heard his voice assuring me that it was he he was in khaki from head to foot from his peaked military cap to his puttees he was in faultless well-fitting khaki even his shirt and his necktie were khaki jimmy's colours showed up wonderfully out of all that brownish greyish yellowish green his flush fairly flamed and his eyes his eyes looked enormous and very bright great chunks of dark sapphire his eyes were they were twinkling at me it's me all right old man he said and turned from me in his deep preoccupation and as he turned i saw that he wore round his right arm a white brassard with a red cross on it at the far end of the coach-house where the great black and white idol used to stand there was a khaki car with a huge red cross on a white square on its flank and on its khaki canvas hood 
this was what his eyes turned to but where's the black and white god i asked there she is he said you're looking at her you haven't yes i have she's had her new coat on for the last three weeks you couldn't take her out as she was all black and white she'd have been knocked to bits before we'd begun our job so i had her painted she's a good enough target for shell-fire as she is you don't mean i said that you're going out what else have i been meaning ever since there was a war but where are you going to belgium he said he added that it was the only blessed place he could get to and what are you going to do when you get there he said he was going to scout for wounded of course and as he saw me still incredulous he told me how he'd managed it he'd gone every day for three weeks to the belgian legation and worried the belgian minister into a state of nervous prostration and when the minister was at his worst and was obliged to leave things a bit to his secretaries he'd gone to the secretaries and worried them till the first secretary had given him his passport and a letter of introduction to the president of the belgian red cross society at ghent and he had gone to ghent went there last week and he had seen the president and talked to him he had talked for ten minutes before his services had been accepted by the belgian red cross and he was going out tomorrow it's just taken me six weeks to do it i gave myself six weeks of course i congratulated him but i couldn't realize it the whole thing seemed incredible jevons in his khaki was incredible the transformed motor-car was incredible as a thing that jevons was concerned with above all it was incredible that he should have sacrificed his god i couldn't believe it until kendall the chauffeur turned up also in khaki and with a red cross brassard on his right arm kendall was credible enough he looked as if he had been going to the war all his life it was evident that he was keen on the adventure it was also evident that he adored jevons more than ever by watching kendall in the act of adoration and keeping my eyes fixed on him i was able to take it in and to assent to the statement that jevons was going to the war he was of course if kendall said so kendall was asking me what i thought of the car she's not the beauty she was sir said kendall i don't suppose mr jevons will care much how he knocks her about now and they do say the belgium roads is fair destruction to cars i said they were i'd motored on them kendall looked at me as he might have looked at the survivor of a shattering experience then he looked at his car he seemed to be seeing all the roads in belgium in a hideous vision then he spoke well they may be bad roads but mr jevons isn't going to be done he'll take out ten cars before he turns back ten cars he will yes yes i might have known it was there ever anything jevons had made up his mind to do and didn't had i ever known him turn back from any adventure that he had set out on if he said he was going to the war why couldn't i have known that he would go the more incredible the thing was the more likely he was to do it when i said so he shook his head and said it wasn't really as likely as it looked we were sitting together after dinner in his garden though it was the third week in september the nights were still warm without viola the stillness of the place was strange to me almost uncanny as if viola were dead and had come back and was listening to us somewhere i had just told him it was splendid of him going out like this and he had smiled back at me and asked like what and then i had said i might have known it it was the sort of thing he would do no he went on it wasn't likely it had been touch and go he had only just pulled it off by the skin of his teeth it had given him more trouble than anything he'd ever tried for it had bothered him more it had bothered him most damnably 
i thought he was referring to his struggles with the recruiting depots and the war office and the home office and the embassies and all the rest of it and i said it was pretty hard luck his own ambulance corps being sent out without him but he said no it wasn't he hadn't been very keen on the ambulance corps he hadn't really wanted to go out with all that beastly crowd this quick scouting game by himself was more in his line all he regretted was the time he'd lost well i said anyhow he was a lucky beggar to have got what he wanted after six weeks at that he looked at me suddenly and his face went all sharp and thin or else i hadn't noticed till then how sharp and thin it was his flush had seemed to flood it and fill it out somehow and his eyes struck your attention like two great flashes of energy the flash had gone out now as he looked at me i reminded him haven't you always said you could get what you wanted oh yes i've said it and i've done it that's nothing any fool can do that the great thing is to make yourself get what you don't want i didn't want to do this i had to no you wanted to enlist but i'm not sure that from your point of view this isn't better jolly lot you know he said about my point of view your idea i explained of doing things on your own isn't that what you wanted he answered very slowly i don't think it matters what i wanted or what i didn't want it's enough isn't it if i want to now if i want it more than anything else i said no i didn't think it did matter but i hadn't a notion what he meant i didn't know that he was on the edge of a confession i couldn't see that he was trying to tell me something about himself and that i had started him off by telling him he was splendid it was as if then he too had felt that viola was there and listening to us as if he were speaking to her and not to me for the next thing he said was i want you to tell viola about it tell her it's all right tell her i'm all right see but shan't you i said be seeing her isn't she going to see you off or something he said no much better not she wouldn't be content with seeing me off she'd try to come out with me she'd worry me to take her and i'm not going to take her she isn't to know i'm going till i've gone and she isn't to know where i've gone to i won't have her coming out to me you've got to see to that fernie you've got to stop her if she tries to get out they're all trying you should just see the bitches tumbling and wriggling and scrabbling with their claws and crawling on their stomachs to get to the front tearing each other's eyes out to get there first and there are fellows that'll take them they'll even take their wives not me not much i wouldn't let viola cross in the same boat with that lot it ought to be a put a stop to the place i'm going the things i'm going to see and to do aren't fit for women aren't fit for women to come within ten miles of whatever you do fernie and i don't care what you do you're not to let her get out i suppose i suppose i made him some sort of promise he says i did i don't remember i do remember telling him i thought it was a pity if he meant to go out that he hadn't seen viola all this time and i remember his answer i haven't seen her all this time because i meant to go out i meant that nothing on this earth should stop me how do you know i said that she'd have stopped you how do i know how do i know anything it's you who don't know you don't know anything at all well he went like that without telling any of them i ran down on the car with him to folkestone and saw him off in the boat to ostend he and kendall his chauffeur he as he pointed out to me superior to kendall only in the perfect fitting of his khaki otherwise there isn't a pin to choose between us except he said that kendall doesn't funk it and i do 
and with Kendal grinning from ear to ear over Mr. Jevons's delicious joke, and Jimmy waving his khaki cap in a final valediction, and Kendal's grin dying abruptly as he achieved the military salute he judged appropriate, we parted. Jimmy's last words to me thrown over the gunwale were, Don't run after me, Fernie. You won't catch me this time. End of Book 3, Chapter 12 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine